What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins. I'm with my man, David Lake. Miami took care of business on Saturday night. They absolutely throttled rival Florida State 52-10. to um, It wasn't even close, I don't think. Uh, it was 38-3 to at halftime. David, just your takeaway, is this like the biggest win of the Diaz era or the most dominating, I think? Yeah, definitely the most dominating. Um, the biggest win, I don't know. I mean, maybe in terms of perception and in terms of doing it on the big stage, you could make that argument. But I think honestly, you know, I assume everyone who's listening to this podcast is a big Miami Hurricanes fan, right? So obviously beating Florida State is a big deal. When you pound them like that, it's a huge deal. But if you've watched every game this season, let's be honest. Like, is is Florida State not the third best team that Miami's oh, played this year? Going, I'm just saying what we saw. Is yeah. that wrong? No, you're, you're right. And, uh, I mean, we're going to get full into this game, kind of what this means and what's next. Some housekeeping. Um, everyone who likes this podcast, uh, please subscribe. Subscribe, excuse me, rate and review, guys. It goes uh, a long ways. I also got to point out, I am not in my home studio. Uh, I'm on the on the road in, in a hotel, so if my audio doesn't sound up to par, that's the case. But I uh, just want to get that out of the way. No, David, you bring up a good point. Like, how good is Florida State? Um, and-, and look, I'm not making excuses. Like, I'm not trying to downplay this win. No. That's exactly what you need to do to no. bad teams. Like, Florida State's a bad team, and Miami pounded a bad team. On top of that, it's your biggest rival, so, you know, it counts even more, and it makes a statement in recruiting, let's be real. So I'm not downplaying anything. I'm just pointing out, like, how down Florida State really is. Dude, I mean, it, I, I had a ton of questions coming into this game, how they would score. Um, right. And I, I thought once they got off script, you know, I think Norvell's pretty good. And if you've watched yeah. the two Florida State games this year, like their first couple of drives are good. And then once they get away from that script, it's like uh, they got nothing. And uh, it kind of played out exactly how I thought. I mean, Miami literally did whatever they wanted to do Correct. on offense. I mean, you're talking monster 10, 11, 12 play drives. Um, it was they, – they literally – I don't think that first half could have gone any better aside from – was that Mark Pope – Muff punt in that in that first half was that another one of those was that correct and that was really the only blemish on the game in my opinion but you know if you remember the very next play is (laughs) uh you know when Jalen Phillips intercepted the the attempted throwaway I think it was from from Jordan Travis on a reverse by the way on that play how freaky was Nesta Silvera's closing speed to, to get Jordan Travis down, you know, forcing him to make that throw. The way he clo- like he the way he moves as a defensive tackle is unreal. Um and again, he he comes to play against Florida State and yeah. he made some big plays in that game. Uh I, I wrote this down because I, I I mean it was you know a stat that probably got overlooked as the game went on. Through the first two drives of the game, Derek King was 14 of 19 for 116 yards and a touchdown. Uh, out of those 14 completions, there were to nine different receivers. Miami was also five of seven on third down. 
Um, and then when they yeah. didn't convert, they converted both of those uh, fourth downs. Like I said, I mean, they literally did whatever they wanted. And um, it was just status quo. It's like, this is what we've seen now for three games. And I, I think kind of a, I don't know if it's a big storyline, but let's also point out that this is the third different offensive line starting five we've seen from Miami. They had uh, Zion Nelson right. at left tackle uh, in place for John Campbell. And dude, I thought um, he looked amazing. Like that was not the same yeah. guy in any way we saw week zero last year against Florida. John can't, or sorry, Zion Nelson played well. Um, no doubt about it. I asked Manny after the game. So, you know, what was the reason for the move? Manny said John Campbell was a little dinged up following the Louisville game. Uh, and so he didn't, re- he wasn't like a full participant, I guess, in practice this week. And so during the week of practice, Zion Nelson was working with the ones. And so they just kind of kept it that way uh, for the game. So I'm with you though. Like there's going to be a decision to make there. Ultimately it's a good thing for Miami. Oh, yeah. And we, we talked about this going into this season, just how the depth with the offensive line is in a totally different place than it was last year. So, yeah, I mean, and again, I, I texted this to you this morning, just how insane it is that none of the offensive linemen are responsible for a sack yet this season. Now, Miami's taken some sacks. I think two of them are on De'Ara King for holding the ball too long, and then the other one's either on one of the backs or one of the tight ends for, yeah. for not blocking blocking like they're expected to. So think about that. Like think about where, where things were last year, season opener against Florida, 10 sacks allowed. And now through three games, the offensive line has not allowed a sack. Now I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you it's a dominant group, but they are better and they are good enough to win with at a fairly high level. And that is a tremendous development that you can't overlook. Like, yes, we're all excited about De'Ara King. We're all excited about the three running backs. The things Brevin Jordan is doing is super exciting too. But we cannot overlook the offensive line and how much better, how much more improved that group is in 2020. Florida State's front seven was obviously a shell, I think, of what we've seen in the past. And me and you have yeah. pointed this out. Josh Kando didn't, didn't play, but Miami only gave up four pressures um the officials that's according to the pro football focus four pressures will mallory was responsible for one of those and um the official stats for uh um stats people like they didn't credit florida state with the quarterback hurry and i looked it up zion nelson's pass blocking grade 88.6 so let's not forget against florida he scored at like a 0.0 which i've never seen before on um, pro football focus. I've never seen someone with a pass blocking grade that high. If we're being honest, like that is, that is a monster. Miami, yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the highest of his career. Uh, For sure, yes. I, I looked that up like last year, he never graded out higher than like a 77. I want to say. So it was the best game of his career. Again, that's a good sign. Let me get your take on this. Just the way we've seen, so Miami, you know, Florida State was the second power five defense that Miami has seen this season, right? And it's interesting to me that the way both of these defenses have decided to uh, defend this offense and De'Eric King is to essentially sit back a lot 
and make Derek King pick you apart as a passer. It seems like a lot of, or it seems like the, the defensive coordinators of Louisville and Florida State didn't necessarily believe in Derek King's ability to pass the ball. Um, what do you make of that? Do you think we're going to see more of that style of defense? Or do you think, like, Clemson obviously has the dudes to, like, come at you a little bit or drop back. I mean, they can mix it up. But, like, in general, do you think it's smart for defenses to continue to just sit back and let Derek find the holes in the zones and, you know, deliver easy throws to receivers? Because he's, he's been doing that no problem the last two weeks. Yeah, and I thought the game plan from Rhett Lashley was uh, excellent. Uh, like, they got yeah. – it, it seemed like they got the running backs way more involved um, in the passing yes. game. There was yeah. a ton of screens. And, you know, and Jalen Knighton, with him the ball in space, is like, whoa. I mean, he is, he is yeah. awesome to watch. And, I, you know, I, I, how do you defend it? I have no idea. I think the, the, when they push the tempo, that makes it more difficult as well. Right. Um, I would, you know, if I was trying to stop Miami, I, th- I think I would try to stack the box, contain Derek, and let him throw. Um, but maybe more more aggressive than just kind of sitting back there and letting him just kind of chuck it around. And he makes throws. It's it's like it's it's nothing. I mean, um, yes. What do you think of the receiver play? Uh, I wanted to ask you about that. What, like, yeah. what was your take? I thought we saw, like, was, was this, like, I saw it. I, I guess I got shot back into me some belief and hope in Mark Pope. <laughs> and then he, that was, like. Then he muffed just, the punt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I can go on a whole rant about that. He, no, no longer, right? Like, he's done. I mean, I think it makes sense to go to a punt returner that will just go catch the ball. I think that's probably a smart move. And I would probably do that, particularly against Clemson. We'll see. Um, But yes, in terms of your question about the receivers, I think we saw them take a step forward. But at the same point, like we also saw like Mike Harley dropped a, you know, it was a dime from Derek King, like a a little put or a kind of a deep post or a deep crosser. And it should have gone for a huge gain. Mike Harley actually, he caught the ball, but, I guess you give credit to the FSU defender for, for sticking yeah. with it and, and raking the ball out. Still got to be a catch. Um, but yeah, I mean, besides that, the receiver group did take a step forward. You know, Derek uh, spread the ball around 11, 11 different guys uh, caught passes in the game. I think Derek, when he was playing, he threw it to 10 different guys, 10 different receivers. So um, yeah, the group stepped up. I think two, like if we're nitpicking and and pointing out that there is room for growth and improvement moving forward, there were some deep shots, particularly I think on the first drive, even. Yeah. Um, you know, Mark Pope got one. Hand, he had his guy beat by a step. It needed to be a dime. It was almost a dime. He got. He tried to get like a one-handed catch, but couldn't reel it in. It would have been a ridiculous catch if he did it. But that play was there, and then. He also, Derek also missed Brevin Jordan on a, a deep shot where there was some miscommunication in the FSU secondary. So they did miss some deep shots, whether it was overthrows or drops. Um, but again, I, I think it's coming. 
I know I said this in the last reaction. It's coming with the receiver group. I can't tell you when it's going to come, but I think it's coming. And when it all comes together, this offense is going to hit another level because, I mean, look, we've already seen it through three games. The offense has gotten better with each week. First yeah. week, they run the ball a ton. Second week, they, uh, you know, essentially force busts from Louisville with their tempo and, and and what they do on offense. Third week, they kind of took what Florida State gave them the whole game, played the efficient style of offense. And, uh, you know, which makes sense if you think about it. They didn't have a full offseason to install their offense. They didn't have a full summer to to build the chemistry and rhythm in the passing game. So it's going, you know, in theory, it's going to improve as the season progresses. And we're seeing that play out for the Hurricanes with De'Eric King. Four straight over Florida State, man. Um, not to put you on the spot, but like this streak keeps building, correct? I think so. I mean, unless, you know, Florida State gets some kind of uh, really good graduate transfer quarterback this offseason, like Miami did with Derek King. But, you know, the overall roster, like if you're projecting forward, Florida State's roster is not very impressive. And I think you would argue that the majority of their best players are seniors or juniors, and they will probably move on to the NFL uh, after this season. Now, they're not necessarily playing well in these first two games of their season, but they are still big-time talents. And the guys who are behind them aren't nearly the players in my opinion, as those guys, like guys like Marvin Wilson, Tamori and Terry, Asante Samuel Jr. Those guys are going to be moving on to the NFL draft and the guys who are going to be replacing them aren't nearly as good. So, you know, I mean, if you really look at Florida State season, we're, th- we're talking about two and nine or three and eight, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Like, where are the wins there? And honestly, like the stretch they have coming up, like they play Jacksonville State, but then after that, it's a four-game stretch of like Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Clemson, Louisville. Like, are they going to beat any of those teams? And when that happens, then there's no such thing as a sure win. I think they play NC State and Duke, and those are like the two games you circle as being winnable. But if they've lost four or five in a row going into those games, who knows? I, I just think, and I... I know Miami staff will use this as recruiting fuel. Yes. And I don't really know how many yeah. guys on FSU's current commit list. Right. Um, they're going to go. Great. It's yeah. not a great list. But I, I just, what Miami did, again, like 52 to 10 looks impressive, but like the 38 to 3 to me is like what really is. Yeah. Hard to kind of wrap your head around. I mean, that game was over at, at halftime. And, of course, you got to come out in the second half and take care of business. But they made a statement. And I, I just think when you go around and you talk to these high school kids, uh, you communicate with them, you know, you're going to hear Miami and Florida, at least when the kid's in the Sunshine yes. State, a lot more than Florida State. Like that, this win, you know, combined with the fact it's now been four in a row and just with Florida State start, like, it, they are fight. You're going to have to fight a major, major uphill battle. And that's why it's so important not to take 
your foot off the pedal. I mean, I, I, there was times last night when I was watching the game and I'm like, damn, like Miami wanted Dante Lucas, for example. He's a kid who, right. you know, took an official visit to Miami, Akeem Dent. Um, like there's guys, like they still have those guys. And that's why it's important to, to win these games because um, right. you're, gonna, you're still going to recruit against them. But I, I think they made – uh, a, a pretty big statement and um yeah. yeah and we've talked about you know the offense the 38 points obviously tells you what what Miami's offense did but I I think we should talk a little bit about the defense now and you know again if you just look at the first half which is when the game you know was really taking place like the second half was kind of all just garbage time stuff uh but in the first half so in the first half Miami's defense finished with nine tackles for loss and five sacks at halftime. Like <laughs> that's, that's something a ton of teams would kill for in an entire game. So uh, not only did Miami obviously dominate on offense by scoring 38 points, they dominated on defense. Like after that, I would be curious what the yards per play was after Florida State's, you know, opening drive, which was scripted beautifully by Mike Norvell. Um, but to that point... From his home. Right, right. Uh, but I think it's fair to say he scripted it, don't you? Like, I'm yeah, sure no. he did. Yeah. But I think, okay, to that point, like, yes, FSU came out and, and had a beautiful opening drive. But Miami still bowed up. Like, FSU got the ball down to the one-yard line. Miami bowed up. Like, Bubba Bolden and Jafari Harvey combined for a huge tackle for loss. And then, you know, Florida State self-destructed. Like, they kind of typically do with with some false starts etc and had to settle for a field goal and in a lot of ways like yes it's good to to get points on your opening drive but in a lot of ways honestly it, it probably was a little more deflating to Florida State and it was it probably even though Miami gave up three points it gave Miami momentum because they they held up they they uh, forced Florida State into a field goal so that was a huge, a huge play in the game, in my opinion. Like Miami set the tone by opening the game with a touchdown, and then Florida State responds with the beautiful drive, but has to settle for three. And uh, yeah. that kind of speaks to the dominance in my mind. By the way, how good is Bubba Bolden? <laughs> I was just gonna bring him up, dude. Um, or you the one that texted me? Like he's a gamer. Like he just is he the best player on defense? Seriously? Yeah. Um... I Dude, think his he's... stat line is ridiculous from last night. So his official stats was four tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, one forced fumble, one interception, one pass breakup, which went right to Al Blades for the uh, interception. So, like, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's like a triple-double in basketball, what he was doing out there. He just filled it up in every single way. Second I... strike week. Second. Yes. Yes, he's been ridiculous. And in my opinion, this season, he is their best player. Like, that's what my eyes tell – best player on defense. Yes, uh, and I, I, we said it in the post-Louisville pod. Like, I think he has played his way into NFL draft conversations. Um, yes. You know, what, what will he be when he gets to the NFL? Like, I think he might be more of just with the way it's going, positionless, positionless yeah. excuse me, like hybrid type guy. But, yeah, he, he is definitely an impact player. Um, and it's going to be nice that you have him and Amari Carter because Gervin Hall's going to miss the first half of that. Uh, yeah. 
uh, of the Clemson game for, for targeting. Um, I, I, I just think a ton of guys made plays on defense. Like Nesta stepped up. I think we said in the yes. pregame podcast, you need to do that. Jalen Phillips prior to being ejected was awesome. All over um, the place. Gerard Harrison hunt with that sack. I was like, Ugh. yep. Yep. Uh, your boy. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it was, there's a lot to like uh, on that defense. And again, like I know Florida state isn't um, some, some offensive powerhouse. Can I give love to the corners? Cause you know, I think it's fair if, if we criticize players, I think it's fair. But then on the flip side, like when, when guys play fairly well, we got to recognize yeah. it too. Right. Yeah. So, give, give out the game, the helmet stickers for those guys. DJ Ivy and Al Blades in particular. Um, I mean, <laughs> shut it down. Florida State's top three receivers coming into the game, right? So essentially, like, they're starting three. Tamorian Terry, uh, Warren Thompson, and Keyshawn Helton. Those three combined for one reception for two yards. Uh, <laughs> Tamorian Terry did not have a reception. Um, so, I mean, look, Miami's pass rush does get a lot of credit for this, no doubt. But on the back end, DJ Ivy and Al Blades did their jobs. Um, they held up to Corey Couch even did his job. He, d- he did a nice, nice job bouncing back from, you know, somewhat of a rough Louisville game for him, to be honest. Um, but look, in game one, Blake Baker, I think, was very honest with the media when he said, look, the corners played average. I think since then, we've seen slight improvement and development from that group, uh, which to me says they, they've been accountable about their performance in that UAB game, and they've, they've improved. And, and, you know, looking forward to Clemson, obviously, that's going to need to continue because they're going to be facing a quarterback that has NFL ball placement abilities. So... Uh, it's a good sign that DJ Ivy in particular has bounced back and, you know, has been fairly sharp, I think, in the last two weeks. Uh, let's take a quick break. Other side, want to talk about how Miami played 20 true freshmen in a rivalry game, which is insane. Uh, and are we uh, – what's going to happen with Rhett Lashley? Let's, let's get into that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news – you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, David, we are back. Um, I know you were busy writing away in the yeah. second half. The um, fourth quarter, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was watching from my brother's apartment in Orlando. Um, long story. Uh, but I, I just started counting the amount of freshmen that Miami inserted into the game. Right. And 
Miami signed 21 high school kids in the class of 2020. 20 of them got a snap against Florida State. Um, and not even like just a special team snap. Uh, right. I have not seen Miami unload the bench like that in I maybe right. since like the Bethune-Cookman game of Mark Rick's first season. I mean, they would have played all 21 guys had Avante Williams been available. Why does this matter? I mean, it doesn't, but like to me that just shows how big of a gap there is right, right now between the two programs. Like Miami got to a point where they could just be like, you know what, this guy who didn't even go through spring football, uh, an abbreviated preseason camp, like we, we can put him on the field against an in-state rival. Um, yes. And there, there, there were some guys that flashed, like Tyreek Austin Cave, he, he made a nice play. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, Quentin Williams was that edge rusher. Uh, it was just cool to see those guys kind of out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're listening to, to this podcast, you're a nerdy Miami Hurricanes football fan, right? So you understand the value of getting your freshmen into the game for those reps. And, you know, Brian Balaam, uh, a freshman defensive back, played 21 defensive snaps. Isaiah Dunson, 20 defensive snaps. Corey Flagg, true freshman middle linebacker, 17 defensive snaps. That doesn't sound like much maybe, but it's a big deal in terms of development, getting guys comfortable in real game situations. In my opinion, this is invaluable. I think position coaches and I think Manny Diaz would agree that, that it's a big deal to get these true freshmen on the field uh, for you know 15 to 20 snaps in a real game. Um, it's, it's not something to overlook. And No, I mean, I just go back to like last season – uh, like in the central Michigan, we're like, oh, is Jaron Williams right. even going to play like the second half? And it's like, wait, no, he played the entire game because they never been, they've not been in, in any point in the past that they've been in this much control where they could just unload, unload the bench. So I think it's definitely worth bringing up. And, you know, on offense, I think, you know, we saw Don Chaney, right? He took that step. Uh, yeah. You know, he kind of showed why he's a freaky talent with his size speed combination. Um, what about the two? Then, what about the two receivers? Yeah, I was gonna say Redding got in I the was, game in the first quarter and got a big third down. Yeah. Right. So, and then I think on the on that same drive, maybe on the next play or or you know next two plays, King threw like a, a deep shot to him where Redding showed his ability to kind of go up and, and try and win a fifty fifty ball battle. Um, you know, the ball was kind of overthrown; he couldn't have caught it. But if the ball was placed a little better, the way he jumped and went for that ball on the sideline, to me, super impressive. Like, I don't know if any of the bigger Miami receivers have that ability. Like, D. Wiggins, not really a 50-50 ball guy. He's kind of just a, you know, deep post. Hopefully you lead him far enough and he can run under the ball and catch it in his bread basket, right? But yeah. Redding, to me, is that 50-50 ball guy that can win those matchups. And so if they can keep getting him going, like he's kind of emerged, honestly, as the top freshman receiver, right? Right. And, then, and there was the deep shot to Keyshawn Smith. Right. Um, when, showed when, his speed there. In the yeah. Four, right? I, I'm just wondering, are we going to see more of these guys? Like when Redding made that catch, I'm like, whoa, Derek King on third down? I, I mean, right. that goes back to my whole theory about how this team doesn't have a wide receiver one or probably even a wide receiver two. but um, I, you know, Michael Redding was a four-star kid coming out of high school. He went Bradenton IMG Academy. I mean, 
you know, I've never really been like he's going to be a dude for Miami. Um, but I was, I was thoroughly surprised and impressed by him. I think he ended up with like 23 offensive snaps. And there was one more guy I want to bring up before we get into the uh, uh, Rhett Lashley stuff. Like Dominic Marmorelli, the, the tight end, yeah. he got like 19 snaps. He was in there before Larry Hodges. Yeah, I, I yeah. thought that was a little interesting. Yeah, it seemed like they were definitely, you know, using him as a blocker, kind of yeah. in some jumbo looks that, that they use in this offense, which, you know, I think's good. Look, you want to you wanna expand your versatility on offense as the season progresses. So bringing in Big Dom as a blocker, I'm here for it. Um, okay, so Rhett Lashley, he is a hot name now in the college football uh, national media circles. I think he's going right. to be linked to a ton of openings if there's openings. Um, right. First, my question for you, you know, I was reading some uh, other message boards of other fan bases and they're basically attributing all of Miami's success right now to the fact that Miami's catching lightning in a bottle with Derek King and uh, Rhett Lashley. First off, like I think you have to credit uh, Rhett Lashley for getting Derek King. Like, you know, right. You, you have to get him credit for that. But how much, how much do you think, like, how much credit does he deserve so far? Are you saying for the offense, for this whole season, in, the, for, in what way are we crediting? For the, for the offense, or, I mean, to be where they are, ranked in the top 10 going up against Clemson. Like, he, he's a major yeah. part, too, right? Of this. Correct. I mean, I, I, the way I am, I typically – give more credit to the players but so in that regard I would say Derek King right um but there's no doubt Rhett Lashley is doing a great job and you know after this Louisville win uh, a week ago I highlighted how his play calling and play design set up those big explosive touchdowns against Louisville um and look I think you you have to give Rhett Lashley a ton of credit, particularly this year, because the circumstances with installing a new offense, a totally new offense from what Miami was running last year with a new quarterback, the odds were against Rhett Lashley uh, in terms of being able to do that at a high level. And they've got it done somehow. And I think Rhett Lashley deserves a ton of credit. Derek King obviously deserves a ton of credit. So I, I understand the buzz. I think it is warranted. Um, but to your point that you made earlier, I am curious, you know, obviously there's budget cuts happening around the country with, with uh, athletic departments. I wonder how many job openings there's going to be anyways this year. Right. Um, so in that regard, Miami might luck out in terms yeah. of being able to keep uh, Rhett Lashley another year. I think if he does stay another year and he still has another quarterback to work with at Miami. So like, I mean, theoretically Miami can convince Derek King to come back for 2021. Let's say that happens. If those two have two years at Miami, Oof. I think in that situation, Rhett Lashley will be able to handpick kind of, a lot of power five jobs that open up after the 2021 season. So um, I think it might be wise for him to be patient if Derek King decides he's coming back to Miami next year. 
but uh, you know, that's a big if because obviously if, if, if the quarterback play or the quarterback talent, we'll see, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but let's say it downgrades from De'Ara King after this year, that obviously impacts the overall operation of the offense and how people would view Rhett Lashley, if that makes sense. Are you um, kind of on the same lines of this? We don't know what's going to happen with the Eric King. Um, but you think Nikosi Perry could be the guy for Miami next season, just based on what you saw in the limited garbage time? I think he could be. I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket, right? I, so, you know, I've made it clear. Like, I would still go into the portal – Again, I can't tell you who it's going to be at this point, obviously, but I think Miami would be wise if Derek decides to move on. Miami would be wise to dip into the portal again for whatever top quarterbacks emerge this next offseason. And, you know, with the way things are going right now, Miami's going to be a very attractive option for any top level quarterback that is looking for a new place to land. So I would do that first. And, you know, if, if things don't work out in that regard, then, yeah, you have Nikosi Perry, you have Tyler Van Dyke, you have them compete, right? Yeah. Um, you know, in my opinion, like, I'm totally fine with Nikosi as the backup. I think he's one of the better backups in the country, quite frankly. Um, but do I necessarily want him as my full-time starter? You know, me personally, I've kind of seen enough in that regard, right? So... I'm cool with it in spots in stop ugh, spot starts where he's a backup and he's got to fill in an emergency duty, but I don't necessarily want my program having to depend on him to be a full-time starter. That's fair. Uh, just one stat I saw come across my timeline. Uh, last season, Miami played 13 games, scored over 30 points, just three times in 2020. Obviously they've scored over 30 in all three straight games. Yeah. Um, which is, the offensive stats across the board, like pick them, pick one. And it's, it's insane when you compare it to last, like the rushing stuff, the running stats are ridiculous. The explosive plays are ridiculous. Third down, you know, we've talked about the offensive line with sacks allowed and all that. Like it's been a total transformation. And, you know, during the summer, we talked about it on the podcast. During the summer, I said, look, Manny Diaz has made changes to this team to be potentially LSU light in 2020. I did not say Miami was going to be LSU. That would be a ridiculous jump. But I said, look, Miami's going to make a jump probably if, if things play out like we think they're going to play out. You know, And in my mind at the time, that was with the original schedule. Miami was going to challenge for a 10-win season. So making a jump from six wins to 10 wins is a huge deal. And why did I say LSU light? You know, obviously we all know LSU made significant changes to their offense. Joe Burrow, uh, you know, kind of made a huge jump uh, at, at quarterback. And I thought that, you know, the LSU offense unlocked a lot of the potential of the receivers and running backs there. I thought a similar thing would happen at Miami with this new offense. And, you know, I'm patting myself on the back. But, uh, I think we're kind of seeing that play out. Now, there's still a ways to go, but I think the LSU light, like everyone wanted to make Georgia into LSU this year, right? With their changes on offense and their quarterbacks and all that stuff. But 
that didn't play out in, in game one for Georgia. Um, I think the team where if you want to crowbar that narrative somewhere, I think the team would be Miami this year. Should I take credit for kind of calling? What was my score prediction? 38-14? It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, you definitely <laughs> called a blowout. There's no doubt. You were right about it. You know, I gave respect to the rivalry. Uh, you know, I recognized FSU. Did anyone, did anyone else really predict like a blowout? I, I didn't even look at like the no. national. No. I mean, I think, I think Gabby did on the site too. He was 40 to 20 something, I think. Um, but yeah. A lot of people were predicting close a close game. Let me ask you one. Can I ask you one question? No, go ahead. Go ahead. And I already brought this up in our in our chat, but I think it's an interesting conversation. So I'm not necessarily saying when Miami plays Clemson that the two best quarterbacks in college football are going to be going at it. But I think I think you could have that conversation. So obviously Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback in the country. I'm not arguing that. In terms of the second best quarterback, I think De'Eric King's in the conversation. In terms of like, if you're viewing college quarterbacks, I'm not talking about NFL draft uh, prospect quarterbacks, but I think De'Eric King's right there, man. Like it's Florida's Kyle Trask, Ohio State, Justin Fields, um, you know, USC's Keaton Slovis, I guess, is there too. Uh, North Carolina's Sam Howell. I'm not saying Derek is definitely better than those guys. I think he's in the conversation with those guys, and you could make the argument he's better than some of those guys. So, you know, I'm excited to see that quarterback duel uh, with Trevor Lawrence and Derek King. Do you no, think I- anything I said is crazy? No. No. I mean, think about it like this. I, I know there's been some throws that could have been yeah. intercepted, but the guy has not turned the ball over in three games. Um, yeah. And that is the complete opposite of what we've seen out of the Miami quarterback position over the past few years. Um, he's a game manager, and he, he can win. Uh, he's a dual-threat talent that doesn't want to, like, run. Um, right. But when he runs, it's like, dude, why don't you do this more often? Uh, no, I think it's, I think it's fair. And, and um, he was brought in to help Miami take the next step. You know, and it, I, I, I think LSU would have loved to have Derek King on Oof. Saturday. I think Georgia probably yes. would have loved to have Derek King. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess my point, I mean, look, I'm saying Derek King is a very good college quarterback. I'm not saying anything NFL, right? I'm not even having that conversation. But I'm saying, like, it's going to be like a battle between two top five quarterbacks in the country, right? Yes. Like, how fun is that? Yeah. I don't know. I, and I'm very curious how Derek responds because, you know, he's definitely got that gamer mentality, that dude mentality in that way. He seems like a guy that steps up in big games. It's not going to get any bigger than that game two weeks from now. I'm already juiced for it. I'm ready. <laughs> give me your, give me your early early uh, like. How do you see that game playing out? Well, I mean, look, I'm not. I mean, Clemson's going to win. I I think. Um, I think what Miami will need to do, obviously, is score with Clemson. Uh, Clemson's going to score on whoever they want. Right. Uh, the question for Miami will be, can they keep up? 
And, you know, if you can keep up with Clemson, maybe things get tight. Maybe your defense forces turnovers and who knows at that point, right? But the, the, the key for Miami will be, can you score against this Clemson defense? Honestly, I want to, so this week, uh, Miami's on a bye week. Uh, Clemson plays Virginia. I, I want to see how uh, Clemson looks against Virginia. Uh, you know, they played a Wake Forest team in their season opener where they just overwhelmed them uh, with, with their talent. They should probably overwhelm Virginia too eventually, uh, you know, pull away in the second half. But I still want to get a better feel for their defensive personnel in particular. But it's going to be a fun one. I mean, is Clemson still going to be a double-digit favorite? I would well, that's what I was, I was yes, right. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think the line is going to be? I think it'll be uh, anywhere from ten to eleven. I agree. I was going to say ten. So, which you know, I think is fair. Like, I I don't know. I think it's fair. And then, realistically, the the thing you'll be looking for in that game as a Miami fan is can Miami win the game against the spread, right? So can Miami keep the game within the spread? Because if you think about the two t- the last two times Miami's played Clemson, the games have not been close. It's been like 58-0 right. and I think like 38-3, something like that, 35-3. Um, so it's kind of a measuring stick game. And, you know, in the long run, if Miami, you know, loses to Clemson, they can't let that loss pile up into, I believe Pittsburgh is after Clemson. You can't let that loss roll into, roll into that Pittsburgh game. And the goal would then have to be, okay, we'll see you again in this, you know, whatever ACC championship game is. So it's going to be a fun one. I, I'm, I've definitely been impressed so far. And again, it's early. But I do think the mentality of this team is in a way different spot than it was last year. It's right. just a, a mature, older team. And, you know, they, they've definitely taken on this mentality of not getting too up when things go well. Um, well, that, that's what I was, that's, that's what I want to kind of end with. Yeah. Um, go back to the bye week. The last time they had a bye week, they had just right. come off, uh, what was it, they went over Florida State, won three in a row. A lot of the same, what you hear now, uh, you know, roller coaster season, Miami's turning the corner. Right. Um, then they come out and they, and they lay an egg against FIU. I think there's a lot of people in that locker room that have probably learned from that moment. Um, yes. And if I'm Manny so. Diaz and the rest of the coaches, I want Las Vegas to make us a three touchdown dog because right. I don't think anyone over the next, what is it, you know, two weeks, sort of that like 10, 12 days is thinking that like, Oh, we're just going to come out and beat Clemson. Like, I think it's a completely different right. mindset. Um, so if you're like, like the timing of this game couldn't have lined up any better how it is. You have this week off and you're playing Clemson. You're not going to come out and, you know, play at NC state or something that could potentially be a trap game. So we will see I, in, in Miami. I mean, knock on wood, I think they're relatively pretty healthy. This is what we said. You want to yes. play Clemson now, not at the end of the season. So, We'll see, right. man. I'm, I'm, and, you know, to your point with health, uh, you know, bye weeks are typically a time when you allow the team to be college guys, right? So go out, have a good time on your off week, et cetera. 
you know, during this season, you got to be careful with that stuff. So hopefully that the team has maturity in that regard, doesn't, you know, have a bunch of positive tests during this bye week. Uh, you know, I don't really like getting into COVID talk, but I think during a bye week, it's definitely something that the team will need to be aware of, right? Like you got to, you got to handle your business in this bye week. Um, you can't go out and have fun like you normally would during a bye week. Right. And the coaches can't even go out on the road and recruit because 2020 yes. and all of that stuff. Uh, all right, Don't David. Think, so it, okay. Last thing, Clemson, Miami, I would assume it's going to be game day, right? I, I mean, I, yeah. Top 10 matchup. I mean, you, like why, why were they in Miami gardens for the Florida state game? Like what? I don't. Right. right. I mean, I think, there is, a, is that OU Texas as well? There's some other big game that weekend too. Maybe I'm making that. No, up. I think you are right. You are correct. But OU but still, lost I mean, my, right. They lost. And, and Miami Clemson, I mean, who knows if, if any other top eight, you know, anyone above Miami loses when Miami has their bye week, it's going to be a top 10 matchup. And, you know, Miami's going to have, which is ridiculous. Has any school ever been featured three straight weeks on game day? Well, it'd be three straight games because you also have right. the, you know, three the straight five games. Eight. I mean, I'm sure Alabama. <laughs> you would think, right? But it's still crazy to think about. Yeah. All right, man. Let's uh, let's wrap this up. What do you got coming up on the site this week? Yeah. So I'm gonna do a. I'm gonna. I'm planning to like dip into like kind of reviewing the first three games. You know what I liked from the first three three games. Just you know, thirty thousand foot view of the season. So far, what what Miami can improve on, I'll probably take I'll, I'll dip my toe a little bit into Clemson, probably too. Uh, just just talk about them more and, and highlight what they're about this year. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much it. Besides that, I'm I'm probably gonna take my foot off the gas a little bit this week uh, with the bye week, so it'll be nice. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Take care.